In the past few weeks, we've actually been trudging, making our way slowly through this series called Stuck. And uh, we've taken time actually to put on our big people boots. And so this morning, I thought I would bring in my big people boots as I preach a big people message. (laughs) So we have been learning over the past couple weeks about what it means to be stuck and what we're stuck in. And we have been learning how to take personal responsibility in the midst of our situation when we feel as though we're stuck or in the mess that we find ourselves in. You know, I have to confess to you that I used to hate being stuck. I loathed it. Uh, I, I, I would try to deny it as much as I could. I would try to run out of that mess or run out of being in that stuck position. Uh, a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever been trudging through the woods, you get stuck in deep muck. And when you go to lift your foot out, that suction happens. And when you lift, the boot doesn't come with you and you leave your boot in the mud and then you automatically step down because it's a natural reflex and you soak your sock deep into the muck in front of you? Well, that's a lot of times how I would feel. I used to hate that when I was stuck in the mess of my life. And so I would try to run and my boots would remain there and I would try to trudge through it and I wouldn't get anywhere. And if you know me personally, you know that my personal motto is, my time is expensive. When you're around me, I say that a lot. I don't like to waste time. I'm motivated. I am very strategic, I am a planner, and I am a visionary. And when you start to mess with those components, I don't do well. (laughs) And so a lot of times when I would get stuck, all I knew what to do was complain. And all of us know what it means to struggle. We all know what it means to be stuck in the struggle. We all have a struggle. We struggle financially. We struggle with overcoming a sin habit. We, we struggle to mend a broken relationship in our lives. We struggle with the loss of a loved one. We all have different types of struggles that we feel we are stuck in. And the reality is none of us enjoy being stuck in the struggle. But there is something important that we can learn when we're in the struggle. And this is what I've learned. In the midst of our struggles, there is a God opportunity. In the midst of our struggles, there is a God opportunity. Now this morning, I'm going to ask you something to do, do something that's kind of unorthodox here that we never really encourage, but I'm going to encourage you to do it this morning. It's nothing unbiblical, don't worry. Take a deep breath. I want you, how many of you are note takers? Like you're like adamant about taking notes. Like Jesus will not speak to you if you don't take notes. Okay, less than half. So we're good. We're good with following this. Good. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is I'm actually going to ask you to only fill in the main blanks and I don't want you to take any extra notes. Some of you just gasped. It's going to be okay. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But I want you just to fill in the main blanks, but don't take any extra notes. I don't care if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, okay? Call it what you want to take extra notes and fill in the margin. Take a break. 
I'm going to encourage you to really listen this morning to what is being spoken to you with your heart, not with your mind. And I'm going to encourage you later on, go back to the podcast in the middle of the week and re-listen to this again and take all the notes that you want. Because this morning, I'm going to speak to your future. God looks at us according to our future. He does not look at us according to our present. And so this morning, I am going to preach and teach and decree and prophesy to your future in how God sees you. And so I don't want you to miss out on what God is saying this morning to you because you're trying to fill in all the extra margins. There is a God opportunity in every single struggle that we face. It doesn't matter where that struggle came from. I know that as Christ followers, we struggle a lot of times. Is this from God? Is this from the enemy? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because according to the word, God works everything out according to his purpose and will. So even if the enemy causes us to be in a place of struggle, there is still a God opportunity there. And if God is the cause of the struggle that we feel we are stuck in, there is still a God opportunity there. Why? Because the struggle is always about discovering the majesty of Jesus. That's what it's about. So many times we get lost in the struggle. We get stuck in the muck, the mess of life, and we focus all on that and what's around us. And so quickly and so easily, we lose our focus of the majesty of Jesus. Because here's what it is. No matter what you're stuck in, whether you're up to your knees, your hips, your, your, your neck or your face or above your head, we're called to focus on the majesty of Jesus in the midst of it. Because that's all that's going to get us out. God loves the struggle. <laughs> now, some of you, I am messing with your mind right now. I'm going to say it again. God loves it when we're in the struggle. Here's why. I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you have kids? Yeah, I have two of them. One who's five thinks she's 15. I don't even know. She's probably when she's 15, she's going to think she's 30. But you know what? I discovered something. You know, when my children first started to learn how to walk, you know, they didn't just like get off the couch and like walk over, you know, and turn on the TV. There was a struggle. I remember there were days where I would, I would position myself in the living room and I would just sit down like this on my knees and I'd be like, come on, come on, you know, come to daddy, come on, come on, you can do it. You know, like I, sometimes I felt like I was talking to a dog. I'm like, come on, come on. He's like, yeah. But, but in, the, in the midst of this, I would call to my daughter and I'd, I'd smack the floor. I'd draw her attention, do whatever I could to get her to come in my direction because I wanted to see her walk. I wanted to see her progress. I wanted to see her move and be motivated. I didn't want to see her stuck in that same position. And then, you know what? How many times do you watch your child struggle a little bit, fall down, hit the floor, hit their face off the carpet, get back up, struggle a little bit more, fall down, maybe like step back a few minutes and kind of reconsider and think, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go that direction in what just happened. How many times did you watch your child struggle, you know, and then finally they just give up and they just sit down? 
and then they're content with where they're at. The reality is, as a parent, you didn't care what it took for your child to get into your arms because you were watching that child the whole time, because you knew the end result was going to be good, because as a parent, the intention of your heart, the plan of your heart was that your child is going to prosper no matter what. Even if you got to get up off that carpet and go over and pick up your child and love it when it plops its butt right down because it's just too tired to move on. God does the same thing with us. There's those moments where he's just sitting there. He's like, come on, come on. I know you're struggling. Come on. I know you feel stuck, but you can do it. Come on. And we go a little bit, boom, right down on our face. And we get back up and we kind of waddle around a little bit, take a few steps back and we reconsider. I don't know if it's worth pressing in. I'm not sure if it's worth it. And God says, no, come on, come on. You can do it. Come on. I love this process. I'm enjoying it. You're growing. You're moving. Come on, come on. I don't hate this. I'm loving this. And then finally, sometimes he just gets right up and he comes over and he clears all the mess and the muck away and he picks us up. And he pats us on the back and he walks us around and he says, oh, I love you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, you're my gem. Oh, I love the struggle. Love it that you're in because this is an opportunity for you to to see my majesty, to get a load of who I really am. Daddy God loves the process. Daddy God loves the process. When we meet our struggle face to face, we have the ability to hear God's voice and turn it around and work it in his direction. Or we have the ability to not hear his voice and and allow it to overcome us, allow it to overpower us and then control us. We have that ability. But here's the thing, when God puts a command on our lives, when God puts a call on our lives, and I'm not talking about a call into ministry, I'm talking about the call of God when he puts it on your life, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate it. Nothing can pause it. Nothing can put it on hold. Nothing can detain it, no matter how bad it may be. You cannot stop the will of God. It is impossible That's why I said, no matter how deep you are in your mess and God has put a call on your life, a command on your life, because every single one of you have a command on your life this morning. No one can stop it. No one. I'll be very honest with you. There are very few people in my life who know this. And um, it all came to a head one year. And, uh, I had to call Pastor Jack. I was, I was a mess. <laughs> but I had this intense, intense, extreme fear of flying. Like, you couldn't pay me enough. You couldn't drug me enough to get me on a plane. I, and I don't care if I heard the voice of God. Like, I'm, it's just Jesus and I have this understanding. I just don't get on planes. So like, if you want to take me to a third world country, God, then you just, you know, like do like an Elijah thing and like transport me, you know, supernaturally, because that's about what it's going to take. So I I literally, um, I'll admit, yes, I had to go see a psychologist. 
okay? Like, oh my gosh, the man of God went to see a psychologist. It's, it's okay, it's okay. God puts people there. God puts those callings on their life for people like me, okay? But anyway, I, I, I had this intense fear. It was crippling fear, like my body would, would just go nuts. My heart would flutter. My eyes would go all buggy. I could not, just the, the thought of flying, I couldn't watch TV commercials about flying. I couldn't watch movies. If, if there was a movie about flying, I would be like, oh, like, tell me when it's over because I, I could not handle it. Now, mind you, prior to this, I've flown all over the world, <laughs> but I was like a basket case. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be near me. <laughs> Because like if there was an air marshal beside me at then, they would have they would have like totally arrested me. <laughs> Who wants to go? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I came to this place, and I remember the day I was sitting in the psychologist's office, and this godly man, he's sitting there and he's giving me all this advice, and he's he's unpacking this whole thing in my life after a few sessions. And he says, Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty, and I'm not just gonna give you a spiritual answer because you're a pastor, I'm gonna give you the facts. And I'm like, all right, yeah, you give it to me. You know, I'm thinking like, I've got an out. I'm going to get a doctor's excuse, you know, like I'm going to write this one off, you know. And he says, when the call of God is on your life, nothing is going to prolong it or stop it, not even death. Duh, like, I know that. He's like, no, get on a plane. Because you know what? If the plane crashes, and God's will for you is to remain alive and the command of God is on your life and you haven't fulfilled your purpose yet, you're not going to die. Oh, man, you got me. So I had to overcome this point of faith and I had to realize in myself and I'm like, you know what? I realize this. The command of God is on my life. Nothing is going to stop me. No matter what, no matter what, if I get on a little two-seater plane or if I get on a 700-seater, you know, whatever it is, kind of jet, it's not going to matter because the call of God is on my life and it's not going to stop anything. And that implies to every single one of us. We can allow the struggle to either strengthen us or we can allow it to weaken us. It's our choice. See, the struggle that we're in is the opportunity for us to bring heaven to earth. Bring heaven to earth. That's what we're called to do. We have that infamous verse in the Bible that we like to quote, whatever you bind in heaven, you bind on earth, and whatever you bind in earth, you bind on heaven. And, and, and that is the call for us to bring heaven to earth. So when we're in the midst of our struggle, let me put it this way. There's no such thing as frustration in heaven, but there is patience. Following me? There's no such thing as unrighteous anger in heaven. But there is goodness. Following me? There, there, there is no such thing as chaos in heaven. But there is peace. Every struggle that we're in, no matter how deep we are, no matter how stuck we may be, that is our opportunity to bring heaven to earth. Instead of resorting to anger, we can resort to goodness. Instead of resorting to chaos and being out of control, we can resort to peace. And so on and so forth. And we've all found ourselves in this position before. In fact, some of us this morning, we can honestly say, I'm stuck. I'm deep. 
I need a spiritual backhoe to like dig me out of my mess. And it's okay. It's okay. Because there's constantly two wars that we're in. I know we didn't sign up to battle, but when you become a Christ follower, you're always in two wars. The first war is to break free. First war is to get unstuck. The second war that you battle for is to remain free, to remain unstuck. And we know that there is no breakthrough if we're not willing to follow through with it. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist reminds us that although we feel maybe we're back there again in that same old spot that smells and stinks and is deep and it comes up past our waist, the psalmist reminds us that in the view, in the reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're more than two-thirds to the top. You do the math. What if we began to review, review and view our struggle the way God reviews it and sees it? Wouldn't that be something? I'm learning to enjoy the fight. I don't got a choice. I'm a warrior by birth. And so I am learning to enjoy the fight. Why? Because here's what I've discovered. The bigger the odds are against us, the bigger the odds that are against us, the more manifested power of God that comes forth into the struggle. Woo, bring it on. <laughs> Several years ago, I was at a funeral home and uh, I don't know if I told this story before. If I did, it doesn't matter. Listen anyway. Um, <laughs> I was at a funeral home. I left my phone in the car. I came out and I had this text message and it was like, I'm going to kill you. I'm like, okay, this is, this is super, you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I respond back. I'm like, hi, who are you? And they respond back in all caps. I'm a Satanist and I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, okay, cool. They're like, yeah, this is, you know, like, okay. So we start conversing. We start talking back and forth through text and he's cursing me and he's telling me all these things. And I think it was a he, I don't know. You can never tell gender with a text, but anyway, so we're, we're, we're in conversation back and forth and they're, they're telling me all these things. And I just sat there and I'm laughing on the other end. And I'm like, in return, blessing this individual. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to pray for you. You've given me a lot to pray about this morning. You know, your life really must be boring because you're texting me and you're like trying to curse me out. And I just, I'm excited because of what God's going to do in your life and how you're going to get set free and so on and so forth. And by the end, they're like swearing at me because they're so frustrated because that's what we do when we enter a place of peace we frustrate the enemy. And when we allow God to move in where we are stuck in our struggle, there is the bigger the odds, the more manifested power of God shows up. So it doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't no matter how big it is in your eyes. The bigger the situation, the bigger the problem, the bigger the struggle you think you're in, you better buckle up because it means more, 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 more manifested power of God that's going to show up and outweigh that which you're facing. And it's going to be awesome. What's fantastic about this is when we start to really get this, we understand complete forgiveness. We understand complete forgiveness. God's complete forgiveness is manifested power. Think about that. God's complete forgiveness is manifested power into our situations. 
the whole crux of God's forgiveness is we, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve a hair of God's forgiveness. But even in the midst of our mess, even in the midst of our struggle, he still calls out to us like the father that he is. And he says, come on, come on, don't turn around. Don't give up. Don't run away from me. Come on, come on, come ask me for forgiveness. Come and ask me for forgiveness. Why? Because he enjoys us. He enjoys us. Some of us were so bogged down spiritually because we think God hates us. We think that we get on his hate list. We're not on his hate list. We are his creation. He is in love with us and he enjoys us even when we struggle. Now understand this. I'm not like giving you license to go sin your guts out because oh, God enjoys me in the midst of my sin. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that. I'm not giving you license because see, we all have to face our own responsibilities. We all have to face our own consequences for sin. But understand this, God loves us in the midst of our garbage. And that manifested love is when we ask for his forgiveness. And he wants to extend that complete forgiveness to us. I want you to join with me in the book of Psalms for just the next few minutes. Open your Bibles up to 130 or look on your notes or on the screen. Psalm 130 verses one through four says, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Out of the depths of our pain, out of the depths of our wounds, our anxiety, our misery, we call out for God's forgiveness. And, and I know, I understand, look, I, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I understand what it's like to be guilt-ridden. I know what it's like to have shame weigh on you. And, and it just always comes out of nowhere. There's never a warning. It never like holds up a sign. It never sends you an email. It doesn't text you. You know, it doesn't like post on your wall on Facebook. Hey, by the way, I'm guilt and shame. I'm on my way. Like there's, there's it's just boom, out of nowhere, you're hit and, and you begin to wonder what's going on. And, and there's these moments when you're in your struggle and the guilt and the shame outweigh your focus on the majesty of Jesus. But Jesus is still present and he's still saying to us, listen, come back to me and ask me for my complete forgiveness and I'll give it to you. And I get it. Some of us here, we're stuck. We're stuck in a struggle and it's not our fault. Like somebody basically took us to the edge of the cliff, booted us off into that struggle. And we're standing there like, why do I have to pay for this? Why do I have to go through this misery? This isn't even my fault. I didn't ask for it. I get that. And as some of you here, you, you just literally just jumped. Like you knew what you were doing. You jumped in, like you dove head first. You put on your little swim cap and your goggles. Like you knew what you were doing and you went right in. But the key to understanding, it's not how you got there. The key to understanding complete forgiveness is getting back on the journey towards Jesus. That's what it is. We have to take that personal responsibility 
for whatever failure we did, whatever relapse we did, but that doesn't mean we stop moving forward into Jesus's arms. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. <laughs> this is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Hey. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. <clears throat> Peter's story is our story. And when God says our name in heaven, 
he's constantly reminding us that it's about him and not us. That's why when we're in the midst of our struggle, he still continues to say our name over and over and over because he's reminding us that it's not about the struggle. It's not about us. It's about him. It's mind-blowing that God tells us that he keeps no record of our sins. Like there's nothing on file. There's nothing stored out on the web somewhere uh, that when you type it in, you're going to find it. He keeps no record. Do we, do we understand that? Like, he keeps no record. Whatever you did today, there's no record. When you ask for forgiveness, when you ask for complete forgiveness, he forgives you of your sin and then keeps no record what you did yesterday or last month or two years ago or three years ago that you still feel you're stuck in, he forgave you and he keeps no record of it. So why on earth are we wasting so much time keeping record of our own sin? And more overall, why on earth do we have any business keeping record of everybody else's? If the one and only who has the only authority in heaven and earth and all of creation to keep record of our sin doesn't keep record of our sin, then we absolutely have no, 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 no right at all to even begin to think about keeping record of somebody else's. Understanding complete forgiveness is what propels us forward to Jesus out of the muck that we're so deep in. Nine times in the Old Testament, get this, nine times alone in the Old Testament, God says, I am slow to anger. <laughs> Do you get that though? Do you get that? He's slow to anger. He's, he's giving this, this, this opportunity for, for complete forgiveness. He's slow to anger. And we'll only know this when we, when we know the character of the creator. And that means we have to ache for intimacy. We have to ache for this intimacy. That word ache means that we have to have this Painful, bittersweet intensity. Do you have that painful, sweet, bitter intensity for Jesus? In the Song of Solomon, this beautiful parallel between the bride of Christ and Jesus, the bride calls out and says, I mourn, I mourn for my bridegroom, I ache for my lover. There is this bittersweet intensity that God wants the body of Christ to come to that, that it's, we're, it's sweet when we can pray to Jesus and it's sweet when, when we can receive his forgiveness and it's sweet when we just feel his presence and there's this emotional attachment between us and him. But there's gonna come this point where there is this bitter intensity because we're not with him. We're not in his presence presence constantly. We're, we're aching for his physical presence. That's what it means to ache for intimacy with the creator. Intimacy at this level, this level of aching 
for the bridegroom, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Intimacy at this level is what loosens the muck around our feet. It's what gives us hope because when we see our bridegroom standing in front of us, we're more motivated than ever to get out of the garbage that we feel we're stuck in. And nothing is going to hold us back to get to the lover of our soul. Where is our mourning? Where is our aching? It is our aching for more of that intimacy that we discover his true character. And then we, we begin to understand complete forgiveness when we're stuck in that struggle. Look with me at verses five and six. It says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than, than watchmen wait for the morning and more than watchmen wait for the morning. The psalmist is telling us that when our relationship with the creator is restored, there is this intimacy and he likens it to a watchman on the wall. In Israel, there was men who were dedicated to be watchmen over the wall, that that was their job. They worked in shifts to make sure they could see what was going on before it would happen, before they were attacked. And a lot of times it was a dangerous job. And it says, the psalmist is saying like the watchman was, was aching for the morning shift to be over. He's aching for that shift to be done so he would be safe. And the psalmist says, oh, Jesus, God, my heart aches like a watchman waiting for the dawn to break. I wait for that moment where I see you, where I can feel you, where that intimacy between us can be restored. And the beauty of this is, is because of what Christ did on the cross. Matthew 28, 20 says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We don't have to wait for the breaking of the dawn. We don't have to wait for our shift to end. We don't have to wait to get out of the mess for Jesus to show up. He's right there with us. And he's extending that complete forgiveness to us. Our struggle is an opportunity to increase our intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A few days ago, I was praying. And as I was praying, the Lord just really began to speak to me. And he asked me this question. He said, Jason, are, are, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with just surviving? And I knew where this was going. Are you, are you satisfied with just surviving? Are you satisfied with just getting by? Are you satisfied with just getting by and trying to make yourself comfortable? Or do you want to thrive? Are you comfortable just surviving with me or do you want to thrive with me? Where I sustain you completely, where I take care of all of your needs, where I give you the confidence that you need and where I provide the comfort that you need. That's the type of intimacy that God calls us to. And once we understand that complete forgiveness and we understand what it means to really ache for intimacy with Jesus, then it's time to share your redemption. I like that word. In fact, I really believe that every Christ follower should really like the word redemption. It's my personal opinion. You know why? It's one of the most exciting words that we have. Maybe this will help. The word redemption is an action of regaining, taking possession in exchange for a payment. 
It's regaining of something that you once lost and the debt now is paid. The debt is now cleared. Sound familiar? Jesus, our redeemer. That's why it should be one of the most exciting verbs in our, our, our vocabulary. Now remember, there's always this God opportunity in the midst of our struggle, but we're not meant to stay there. We're not meant to remain stuck. We're destined to be set free so we can share the redemption that we received with others. So there always has to be a way out. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, which means we're champions, which means we have the goods and we have the ability to get out of the struggle where we're stuck in. And therefore, we have the ability to go forward and to share that redemption. Look with me at verse seven and eight as we end. It says this, Israel, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel for all their sins. First of all, newsflash, if you're trying, you're not gonna outrun God's unfailing love. It's unfailing. It is perfect, incomparable. No one can touch it. And it goes on and on and on and on and on more than the Energizer Bunny. And then finally, this full redemption, not partial, not half, not a third, not a fourth, full redemption. We have full redemption. And that enables us to take the same hope that we once longed for and go share it with those who are hopeless. God doesn't set us free from the struggle so then we can just hang out with ourselves. He sets us free so we can go set others free from the struggle, which is why redemption is critical to God. He doesn't mess around with redemption. It's very serious. It's part of his plan. From the beginning, it was part of his plan. See, the last thing the enemy wants is us going and sharing our redemption with a world that is stuck deep in sin. That's the last thing that he wants to happen. And a lot of times the reason we stay stuck is because we don't know how to walk in a place of regaining. Let me repeat that. A lot of times the reason we stay stuck is because we don't know how to walk in a place of regaining. Like we're, we're cool with what Jesus did on the cross. We're like, hey, Jesus, man, you the man, you the man. Great job. Awesome. Good sacrifice. Thank you. Repentance, loving it. Forgiveness, loving it. Salvation, winner. Thank you. And then we don't live it. <laughs> like, man, that Jesus guy, you ever heard of him? Great stuff. You got to get connected with him. And then we don't live it. Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. Simply this, what have you been set free from? Somebody, what have you been set free from? Shout it out. And when you shout it out, I want you to stand up. Don't worry. Everything's cool. What have you been set free from? No, I, what have you been set free from? Fear. Who said fear? Stand up. What have you been set free from? Pain. What have you been set free from over here? Disease. Stand up. What have you been set free from? We're in church people. We participate. What have we been set free from? 
Sin and death, stand up. What? Rejection, Rejection. stand up, please. What have we been set free from? Smoking, stand up, please. What have we been set free from? Cancer, what have we been set free from? Power of sin, what have we been set free from? Stand up, what have we been set free from up there? Come on, you're not another community. You're in this community. (laughs) What have we been set free from? Stand up. What about up here? What have you been set free from? I'm talking to the balcony. (laughs) What have you been set free from? Unforgiveness, thank you. Newsflash. What you have been set free from, God gives you the authority and the power to set other people free from. Let me say that again. What you have been set free from, God gives you the power and the authority to set other people free from. How many of you have been set free from something? Raise your hand. Stand up. If you've been set free from something, stand up. I want you to look around. Take a good look. You want to know what your ministry is? I'm an usher. It's more than that. Ushers are needed. It's important. It's a critical part of the body of Christ. But I'm not talking about, am I called to be a pastor, an apostle, a preacher, a teacher, a prophet, whatever. I'm talking about what is your personal ministry? You want to know where your personal ministry is? Stop looking, look at yourself, see what God has set you free from. That's your power. That's your authority. Now go set other people free from it. This is your commissioning. If you've been freed from cancer, you know what you need to do? You need to start praying for people to be healed of cancer. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, theology, wait. God does not think the way we think. If you have been set free from drugs and you have been clean and you have accountability, you need to start setting people free from drugs. If you've been set free from pornography, you need to start setting people free from pornography. Then the church will start doing what the church is called to do. Share our redemption. Go ahead and sit down. That is your go. That's your go. That's your do. You go into the marketplace tomorrow, you're walking in there different than when you came in from Friday. You walk into GE tomorrow and you had today off, you're walking in there different. What you have been set free from, you have the authority and the power to set free other people from. Now, some of you are sitting there and being like, now, wait a minute, they didn't go to Bible school They didn't meet with Pastor Jason. They didn't meet with Pastor Don or Pastor Jack. I don't think they should have the... uh, You know, in the Gospels, Jesus rolls up in a boat onto the shore and this guy comes out demonically possessed. No one can keep him. He looks mangled and nasty and gross and disgusting. Jesus looks at him, sets him free. And then the guy is like, cool, where are you guys rolling? Let me get in the boat. And Jesus is like get out of here. Get out of the boat. What do you think you're doing? Well, I want to come with you. No, you're going to stay here because you've been set free and you're going to go tell everyone else what happened. And get this, how this works. 
Jesus leaves and he shows up later and it says that the whole place knows about Christ. How about that? If it was only that simple, right? So what would happen, you know, if you still trying to get in the boat with Jesus at GE, what would happen if you just decided not to get in the boat with Jesus and you started walking around telling everybody and seeking out those from what you've been set free from and you start to set them free? What would begin to happen? It's not about us. 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 It's about him. It's about him. Redemption is all about God restoring us so that he can use us to share his story with others of his plan because his ultimate plan is he wants to spend the rest of eternity with his creation. That's what it's about. So we have to know what the word of God says. We have to know it. We have to know our redemption story. We have to know what it is so we can live it out. So whatever you've been free from, you need to find it in the word of God. Now you're saying, whoa, pastor, wait a minute. Um, I, I can't find alcohol in the Bible, so I need like a specific scripture. You need to dig. You need, remember, God doesn't think the way we think. God wants us to think the way he thinks. You need to dig into the word of God and see what it is that God is saying to you and give you the scriptures of what God wants you to think on and go through about what you have overcome. Some things aren't gonna just come at face value that are so easy. We have to dig, we have to apply ourselves. We have to go deep in the word because it's all about him. We're going deep to find more of him. See, my redemption story is 1 Samuel 17. David and Goliath, I'm a warrior, I'm a giant killer. I know what I am called to do and I kill giants for a living. In the spirit, what do you do? What are you doing with the ministry that God has given you? Are you sharing your redemption? Redemption enables us to live in the fullness that he intends for us. So here's the good news that I'm gonna leave you with. We have every spiritual avenue available to us to see the God opportunity when we're stuck in the struggle. And because of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're more than halfway, halfway out, and we have an incredible story of redemption to share with others. Now take out that little pamphlet thing, that outline that we give you, pull it out. And I want you to look on the back or on the front, wherever it says, live it out. This is how I'm going to end. This week, I wanna challenge you, read Psalm 130 again. I want you to identify your current struggle that you're stuck in. Identify it, write it down, come face to face with it, meet it, look it in the eyes, because things are about to change. I want you to identify the God opportunity in it. 
telling you, no matter how bad it is, I want you to find the God opportunity in it because it's there. And I want you to write that down. I want you to write out that God opportunity. And once you get that God opportunity, I want you to confess it to God. First of all, I want you to confess your sin to God for believing more in what you're stuck in than believing in the deliverance of the Lord from getting you unstuck. I want you just to confess to him and say, God, you know what? I, I've just been focused. I got my head in the wrong place. I've got my eyes in the wrong gaze and I am here now. So I'm asking for your forgiveness and I'm repenting of this, which means to change your behavior. And I'm moving forward and I'm going to stand and I am going to declare back this God opportunity. And then your application is simply this. What is your redemption story? What is it? Now go share it. Stand with me. I just want to pray for you. You can hold out your hands if you want as a, as a symbol uh, or a posture of receiving. But let me just pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that, Father, you would intensify, that you would accelerate, Father, where we are at right now. Father, for those who have been stuck, I pray that you would accelerate the movement of where they are currently at. Father, I pray that, that what it looks like seven years that they have been stuck in a situation now progresses instantly, increases, accelerates to even a year or less, Lord. Father, I pray that, that where people feel as though that, that they cannot do it anymore, that they cannot handle it, I pray that you would refresh them, re-strengthen them, give them endurance and perseverance, Lord, like they have never had before. I pray that you would give all of us a capacity to enjoy you at a greater level. That in the midst of the struggle that we're facing, we will see the opportunity that you have for us. We'll accept it with joy. I pray that we will live under your smile. Father, I pray that no matter how deep we may be in our struggle, I pray that the gaze of your smile will shine on us that forgiveness will propel us closer to you. Repentance, Lord, will be a catalyst into your presence and that we will exhaust the enemy because we are so excited because of what you're doing in our situation. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Have a great day.